is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Thank you, Tuck, for the songs. That was exactly, maybe it's just, maybe when, when preparing for a message, your, your senses are heightened. Uh, sort of like you've been sanding on a piece of wood, the vibration of the sander makes your, makes your skin feel more sensitive, but it's like every song was ministering to me as we were singing this morning. And, uh, but it was ministering, and I'm grateful for that. So um, we are going to be starting off uh, in Isaiah chapter 13. And we have 12 chapters to cover. It will take approximately 45 minutes to read through that, at which point I will begin the sermon. (laughs) Just kidding. A number of years ago, uh, there was a big, a large conference in Tennessee, and a man by the name of Mickey Bonner was going to be the keynote speaker the one evening. And it was a conference on living, living holy, living the Christian life, and, and uh, Mickey Bonner was going to be preaching, and Mickey Bonner began his sermon, he was a, an elderly man, and he began to preach, and there was a young man sitting in the auditorium that night, and the young man was taking notes feverishly, he wanted to hear and, and take down the wisdom of this of this man of God that had lived longer than him, and he's writing notes feverishly. And he heard Mickey Bonner say, God will only use a man who has a broken and a contrite heart. And then he heard a thud. And Mickey Bonner had preached his last message. The last words out of his mouth were, God will only use a man who has a broken and a contrite heart. I don't know where the notes are from that evening. I haven't seen them since. But I have remembered, I have no idea what he preached on, but that has resonated in me for years now. Maybe because I struggled with it so much. Brother Earl, you talked about hungering and thirsting for righteousness last week, and I so appreciated the things you had to share. And I, as a young man, hungered and thirsted for righteousness, but I couldn't seem to get it right. And I remember, and I'm going to tell some embarrassing stories about myself today, okay? <clears throat> I remember as a, young, as a young driver, I determined in my heart that the right thing to do was be to always drive the speed limit. And I wanted it because I wanted to do the right thing. I didn't want to break the law. And I remember one day being in the car with my cousin who was driving five over and telling her to pull over. Let me have the keys. If she couldn't drive right, let me drive. I look back with embarrassment on that now. I don't want to be, I don't want to be academic today. There's going to be some, obviously with truth, there's some amount of learning that has to occur, but this message today is for each of us. There isn't a person in this room I don't care how holy you've already become, there isn't a person in this room that's going to be able to get away from the things that are said, not because I'm saying them, but because it is truth and it is human nature and is what we have to deal with. 
Pride is the subject today, but our hearts are the battleground. So as we go through this time, I really, I may say something that upsets you. I hope I don't, but if I do, please, please don't be upset at me. I'm the messenger here. I'm bringing the word. And I actually struggled because I like to read the word like Earl last week. I, I feel like it's important. And I'm telling you, I tried, but there is no way to get 12 chapters into this thing. So we'll pick a few pieces out of it. But I wanted to read the word as much as we can because you can't argue with God. We can argue with God, but you will not win. Okay, that's how it works. And as, as we were singing this morning, different things, just the weight of the weight of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, the weight of what it means to be redeemed by the creator of the universe was just, it was sitting on me. And it's been my heart this week. Something's wrong in the church. I don't exactly know what it is. I've talked to uh, a man, well, I talked to my parents who talked to an evangelist who came to our church that I was a part of years ago, and revival came. I mean, the Holy Spirit was poured out and confession of sin. It was an amazing experience. And he said, he said to my parents, he said, I don't know, something has changed in the church, and it's like people aren't responding anymore. And I've noticed it. And it's not that we don't want to walk with God. It's like, it's like there's blinders on our hearts. It's like there's a crust that, that God, the Spirit can't get through anymore. So if you are serious, if you are serious this morning about walking with God, listen to me. Not because it's me, but because the Word of God is going to speak. I really believe it's going to. If you are here, please don't be distracted. Please pay attention. I, if for no other reason for respect for me, because it is hard preparing for these things. Let's hunger, let's hunger and thirst today. Let's hunger and thirst and let Him fill us. Because that's what happened that night, sitting in that auditorium with 10,000 people, and the man who's bringing the message dies in front of us with those last words on his lips. And on one hand, I thought, how embarrassing to die in front of 10,000 people. But what an impact. I don't even know what he spoke about, but that he was just quoting Psalm 51. But it riveted itself into me, and it changed my approach. So I've titled the message, Pride, the Downfall of Nations. If you go through, if you actually read through all 12 chapters, you would find that it is, it is God speaking against one nation after the next. Is the, is the um, slide for the map up? So I wanted to just, this is the academic part because I feel like it's important for us if we can actually see kind of what we're talking about. We're going to be talking about, let me see if I can do this. Um, this area right here is Babylon, and that will be spoken of against very harshly. That's Nineveh for you kids. That's where Jonah would have gone after he got spit out by the whale. And this area would be Assyria, and that's the actual, that would be the empire that's currently in power that Israel and Judah are very afraid of at that moment. And this is Israel. The northern and southern tribes. And then right here is Damascus and Syria. They will be spoken against. Egypt will be spoken against. And down in here is what's known as Cush or Ethiopia as we know it. And then even Arabia over in this area in the desert will be spoken against. So all of those nations that surround Israel 
All of that is like a shotgun blast from God. And it's not, it's not indiscriminate. I think going into this, I think that um, God did that intentionally. Maybe it was for, I don't know that the message was supposed to get to the people. Maybe it was for the nation of Israel to realize you're not alone. I'm going to judge all nations, but this is, this is what he's going to say. So we're going to start reading um, in chapter 13. We're going to be skipping. If you want to follow, I'll, I'll, I'll try to say it correctly so you can stay with me. The first one is against Babylon, and we are starting in uh, chapter 13, verse 6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, everyone's hands will become weak, and every man's heart will melt. They'll be horrified. Pain and agony will seize them. They'll be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look at each other, their faces flushed with fear. Look, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with rage and burning anger to make the earth a desolation and to destroy the sinners on it. Indeed, the stars of the sky and its constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark when it rises and the moon will not shine. I will bring disaster on the world and their own iniquity on the wicked. I will put an end to the pride of the arrogant and humiliate the insolence of tyrants. And then skipping forward to verse 18, their bows will cut young men to pieces. They will have no compassion on little ones. They will not look with pity on children. And Babylon, the jewel of the kingdoms, the glory of the pride of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. It will never be inhabited or lived in from generation to generation. Skipping forward to uh, chapter 14. Um, this is a song that Israel will sing against Babylon when they come back to their homeland. Uh, starting in just jumping in in verse 12 shining morning star how you have fallen from the heavens you destroyer of nations you've been cut down to the ground you said to yourself i will ascend to the heavens i will set up my throne above the stars of god i will sit on the mount of the god's assembly in the remotest parts of the north i will ascend above the highest clouds i will make myself like the most high but you will be brought down to hell and into the deepest regions of the pit those who see you will stare at you they will look closely at you. Is this the man who caused the earth to tremble, who shook the kingdoms, who turned the world into a wilderness, who destroyed its cities and would not release the prisoners to return home? Over to verse 24. The Lord of hosts has sworn, now he's speaking against Assyria, as I have purposed, so it will happen. As I have planned it, so it will happen. I will break Assyria in my land. I will tread him down on my mountain, and his yoke will be taken from them, and his burden removed from their shoulders forward to um, verse 31 same wail you gates cry out city tremble with fear all philistia that's against philistia um, verse chapter 15 now it's against moab chapter 15 verse 4 heshbon and elielah cry out and their voices are heard as far away as jahaz therefore the soldiers of moab cry out and they tremble over to verse chapter 16 verse 6 we have heard of moab's pride how very proud he is his haughtiness his pride his arrogance and his empty boasting. Therefore, let Moab wail. Let every one of them wail for Moab. Forward to chapter 17. Um, now he's, he's speaking against Damascus and against the northern tribes of Israel. And uh, here he's speaking against Israel. On that day, verse 9, their strong cities will be like the abandoned woods and mountaintops that were abandoned because of the Israelites. There will be desolation. For you have forgotten the God of your salvation. And you have failed to remember the rock of your strength. Forward to chapter 18. Now he's speaking against Ethiopia. Verse 6. For the Lord said to me, I will quietly look out from my place like shimmering heat and sunshine, like a rain cloud in harvest heat. For before the harvest, when the blossoming is over and the blossoming becomes a ripening grape, he will cut off the shoots with a pruning knife 
and tear away and remove the branches, they will all be left for the birds of prey on the hills and for the wild animals of the land. The birds will spend the summer on them and all the animals the winter on them. Now to chapter 19, how he's speaking against Egypt. Starting in verse 11, the princes of Zon, Zon was a city, we know it as Tanis, um, one of the main cities. The princes of Zon are complete fools. Pharaoh's wisest advisors give stupid advice. How can you say to Pharaoh, I am one of the wise, a student of eastern kings. Where then are your wise men? Let them tell you and reveal what the Lord of hosts has planned against Egypt. The princes of Zon have been fools. The princes of Memphis are deceived. Her tribal chieftains have led Egypt astray. The Lord has mixed within her a spirit of confusion. The leaders have made Egypt stagger in all she does, as a drunkard staggers in his vomit. No head or tail, palm or reed will be able to do anything for Egypt. On that day, Egypt will be like women. She will tremble with fear because of the threatening hand of the Lord of hosts when he raised it against her. The land of Judah will terrify Egypt. Whenever Judah is mentioned, Egypt will tremble because of what the Lord of hosts has planned against it. Forward to chapter 21. This is again a blast of judgment against Babylon. Uh, Verse 9, look, riders come, horsemen in pairs. And he answered saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. All the images of her gods have been shattered on the ground. My people who have been crushed on the threshing floor, I have declared to you what the Lord of hosts what I have heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. And then he speaks against Arabia. For as the Lord said to me, verse 14, within one year as a hired worker counts years, all the glory of Kedar will be gone. The remaining Kedarite archers will be few in number, for the Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. Now chapter 22. Now he's speaking against Jerusalem. This is where Isaiah would be. Verse 8, he removed the defenses of Judah. On that day you looked to the weapons in the house of the forest. You saw that there were many breaches in the wall of the city of David. You collected water from the lower pool. You counted the houses of Jerusalem so that you could tear them down to fortify the wall. You made a reservoir between the walls for the waters of the ancient pool. But you did not look to the one who made it or consider the one who created it long ago. On that day... The Lord God of hosts called for weeping and for wailing and for shaven heads and for the wearing of sackcloth. But look, joy and gladness, butchering of cattle, slaughtering of sheep, eating of meat and drinking of wine. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. The Lord of hosts has directly revealed this to me. This sin of yours will never be wiped out. The Lord of hosts has spoken. Chapter 23, speaking against Tyre, Sidon and Philistia. They were all part of the coastline of Israel. Verse 8, who planned this against Tyre? The bestower of crowns, whose traders are princes, whose merchants are the honored ones of the earth. The Lord of hosts planned it to desecrate its glorious beauty, to disgrace all the honored ones of the earth. And now we get to chapter 24. In chapter 24, the tone changes. Up to this point, he's been speaking to the Middle Eastern nations surrounding Israel. But it changes fairly dramatically as we go into this chapter. Now he's referring to the whole world. I want you to listen carefully. I think this is still to come, and it's terrifying. Look, the Lord is stripping the earth bare, verse 1, and making it desolate. He will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. People and priest alike, servant and master, female servant and mistress, buyer, seller, lender and borrower, creditor and debtor, the earth will be stripped completely bare, and will be totally plundered, for the Lord has spoken this message. The earth mourns and withers. The world wastes away and withers. The exalted people of the earth waste away. The earth is polluted by its inhabitants, for they have transgressed teachings, 
overstepped decrees and broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse has consumed the earth and its inhabitants have become guilty. Dropping down, the joyful tambourines, verse 8, have ceased. The noise of the jubilant has stopped. The joyful lyre has ceased. They no longer sing and drink wine. Beer is bitter to those who drink it. The city of chaos is shattered. Every house is closed to entry. In the streets they cry for wine. All joy grows dark. Earth's rejoicing goes into exile. Only desolation remains in the city. Its gate has collapsed in ruins. For this is how it will be among the nations, like a harvested olive tree, like a gleaning after a grape harvest. Dropping down to verse 17. Panic, pit, and trap await you who dwell on the earth. Whoever flees at the sound of panic will fall into a pit, and whoever escapes from the pit will be caught in a trap. For the windows are open from heaven, and the foundations of the earth are shaken. The earth is completely devastated. The earth is split open. The earth is violently shaken. The earth staggers like a drunkard and sways like a hut. And that is a bleak picture, folks. And that is precisely where all nations are headed because of the sin of pride. So we're going to start there and we're going to go through and, and I'm going to take it from the nations to us because I really think that the nations are, pride, are taken down by pride because the nations are comprised of people, whether it's leadership or whether it's the commoner. We are all humans and we are all afflicted with the sin that Adam and Eve went down with. So here's where we're going to start. What is pride? I struggled to find a, 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 a description of it that I felt was biblical. And here's part of the problem. We use the word pride, good and bad. We talk about pride of ownership. We talk about um, taking pride in our work. We talk about being proud of our children. We need to come up with another word for it because pride is wretchedly awful. Pride is the original sin. Before Adam and Eve sinned, Satan had already fallen from heaven. And he went down, as we read actually in chapter 14, he went down on pride. I will be like the Most High. But when I actually looked up what the word means in the Hebrew word that's used in here, it's, it means literally to raise up. That's, I was expecting something more, right? What, what, to raise up. But actually... When you boil it down to its essence, it actually makes sense. So I've changed, I've, I've created a meaning today that I think fits that, that we're going to use as our working definition today. This is, what I, this is what I came up with. Pride is the internal insistence that I be in control. Pride is the internal insistence that I be in control. First point, pride will destroy whoever possesses it. I need you to hear me. Pride will destroy whoever possesses it. it you, will not, you will not escape. I know this. I know this personally. I know this because I deal with pride. I have to deal with pride all the time. And we're going to go into it in just a moment here of what it actually means. But here we're going to start. Pride is insidious. Listen carefully. Pride is insidious. It weaves in because it so easily masks itself as good things even humility. Brenda, I'm going to use you from last week. I didn't ask your permission because I wanted to ask forgiveness as opposed to permission. No, I just didn't get around to it. Brenda said last week, she said, I had gotten to the point where I was like, I had made it through two years of COVID. And I thought I had it together, right? God was blessing me probably. I've been protected. I'm not in fear. And you know what happens is the problem is you can start off with something good. You can start off with a desire to be 
righteous. That's what I had in my heart. And it turned suddenly into pride. And you don't even know it. I'm telling you, when I go looking in my life, I find it everywhere. Let me give you an illustration. Last night, I don't know when it was, it was late. I went out to the barn. It was cold last night. And there's ice on the ground. Listen, this thought hit me. Hmm. What I'm talking about tomorrow must be so important that Satan sent an ice storm so people wouldn't come and hear it. Pure, evil pride. But it sounded good when it came to me. This morning as I came, the struggle in my heart. This morning as I'm standing here, right now as I'm standing here talking about it, let me tell you what's in my heart. There's a part of me, there's a part of me that wants you to think the best of me. That guy's a good preacher. I really enjoyed what he had to say. Well, that's not why I'm here. I'm here because I'm bringing a message from the Creator to us today. And I can get in His way. And so part of me is struggling with my own wanting my heart to raise up. And it's, I'm squishing on it as I'm speaking to you. It is always there. And when you go looking for pride, believe me, the Holy Spirit can reveal it to you. But it is so insidious. And so it gets in there and it weaves in tight. And you hardly know it. We'll find out how he can reveal it to us later on. Pride hardens us to the truth. <clears throat> Pride hardens us to the truth. The classic example of this is Pharaoh. Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should listen to him? And over nine plagues, he hardens his heart and he hardens his heart. Till he's finally the last one holding out. And his advisors are saying, please let him go. Please let these people go. You are ruining this country. Nope. I am considered a God in this country, and it's God against God, and I'm going to win this war. You have lost your country. You have lost your advisors, and you will eventually lose your oldest son. And there came a point when he said, go. But what crazy thing happens in the man's mind as he is hardened and hardened and hardened, and he loses his oldest son, he loses everything, he loses all the slaves that he had, and after they leave... The blindness that occurs in his heart. Pride first hardens us to truth. And then it blinds us to truth. And he says, all right, let's go get him. As if somehow he's going to be more victorious in the desert than he was back home on his throne. Let's go get him. And he is destroyed. It is a classic example of what happens. But here's the thing. Pride hardens my heart too. I have a very strong ability to defend myself in any circumstance. You can come against me with, Micah, I think you've done this, or Micah, you've done that. And internally, the moment you start to criticize me or accuse me, something rises up inside of me. And I'd bet every one of you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter. Actually, the more true it is, the more it rises up inside us. We want, we, that pride comes up and it just blankets our heart. I do not want to hear. I do not want to hear about my brokenness. Amen. If you allow that, you will eventually get to the point where the wall is so thick, no one can get through. When my wife and I were just started dating, um, I went to visit her folks. I, had, I hadn't gotten to know them yet, so I went down to Arkansas to visit them, and I was waiting for the interrogation. So when I was growing up, my dad was going to interrogate whoever came around and try to date my sisters. So I was waiting for the interrogation. When I'm, when's, 
when's this potential dad-in-law going to sit down and find out whether this boy has it all together or not? And I waited, and I waited, and I, I, find, I, find, I went to him, I'm like, when are you going to interrogate me? He said, I'm not. Ooh, what, what do you mean you're not? And he said, I'm just looking for one thing. Here's what I'm looking for. Do you have a teachable spirit or a rebellious spirit? This is what he said to me. I'm telling you, again, not sermons, just little blips of conversations here and there. He probably doesn't even remember telling me this. He said to me, if you have a teachable spirit, you're much younger than me. You don't know everything yet. But as you grow and as you need to learn, the Holy Spirit will teach you. He'll either teach you himself through his word, through someone else, through circumstances in life, and you'll be able to learn. If you have a rebellious spirit, you'll never learn anything. That's all I'm looking for. You know what he was saying? Is your heart encrusted in pride or is humility surrounding it and God can actually get through to you and change things? That's all he was saying. And that was such a powerful testimony to me. Scared me too because then I was wondering about myself. I guess I passed the test. (laughs) Or maybe he just said, I don't know what to do with him. I'm letting him go. So, So pride will harden you if you allow it. Pride will blind you if you allow it. And it will sit in there acting like it's all good. Like everything is, I'm so humbled. You don't understand. When you come to me like that and you share your criticism with me, you, do you realize how much Jesus has spoken to me this week? Have you ever heard anything like that? Have you ever thought anything like that? Jesus, they're so mean to me. I just, I just want to love you. And here they are bringing these accusations. Well, they might be true. See, that's the reality. They might actually be true. And one of the things that I've had to learn in life is when somebody comes to me with an accusation, I might want to listen because it's hard to bring a criticism to somebody. Do you all agree with that? I don't like confrontation. Finally, after the the end of the first point, pride insists, pride internally insists on controlling my world. But here's the thing. I'm not omniscient. I'm not all powerful. And I will eventually run up against something in which I will lose control. It's different for different people. It's different intensities for different people. For the average Ukrainian right now, their world is completely out of control and there's nothing they can do about it. For us, it's not quite to that level. But for some of you, it's the loss of a child to death. For some of you, it's the loss of health. A couple of weeks ago, I thought, Lord, what am I going to do? My back is out. I'm never going to be able to work again. I'm standing over here this morning and I feel great and I am grateful when I get to walk around and do things because it is his mercy that allows me day by day to do what I need to do. But I wasn't nearly as grateful before. I didn't even think about my back until it stopped working on me. I'm not, I'm not omnipotent. I don't have the power to control my life. So I will eventually run up against something in which I will lose control. And when I lose control, something will happen in me. If pride has crusted my life and I lose control, I will begin to be afraid. I will begin to be afraid. It is the natural response when you lose control. This is an amusing story now, but it was terrifying when it happened to me. Uh, Before I was married, so a while ago, I had a, a sailboat and I had some friends that came to visit me in January. Lived in Virginia Beach and used to sail in the Willoughby Bay. And they said, we wanna go sailing. Two people had never been on a sailboat before. So I said, okay, that was a foolish thing for me to do. It was bitterly cold, blowing like crazy, and I had an old boat. 
So we go down to Willoughby, we put the boat in, and I, my pride didn't let me stop. We put the boat in the water and we headed out. And when we, when we left the dock, I knew I was in trouble. I had two people that didn't know how to sail, so I couldn't bark orders at them and have them help me. And it's not like a motorboat. It is an all-hands-on-deck kind of scenario. And I, the, fr- the problem was is that I needed to, like, I realized immediately this is stupid, but the wind was blowing so strong and the waves are so strong that I was afraid to turn my boat around. So the longer I waited, the further from shore I got. So I'm headed out into worse and worse and deeper waters, and I can't do anything about it. This is not a joke. We cross a, we cross a wave, and I'm looking over. The, the boat's heeled over so far, I'm looking over, and water is sloshing in the bottom side of it. And all of a sudden, this, I, this is the kind of stuff that I'm glad I lived through so I could tell you. The tiller, the part that controls the rudder, we come across it of a wave, and I'm holding it in my hand. It breaks off of the top of my rudder. I have no control now. It is panic in that boat. And I grab the top of the rudder and I yell at one of the guys. I said, drop the sail. He's like, I don't know how to drop the sail. Drop the sail! Because here's the thing. If we flipped over, we were only 200 yards from shore, but it's January. That water is icy cold. We will not live to get back to shore, right? I don't know how. I don't know how the Lord spared us that day, but somehow he kept the boat upright. They got the sail down and I sailed back. The wind was so strong. I sailed back holding the top of the rudder with just the mast and he pushed us right back into the dock. But I was terrified and I was completely no longer in control of my circumstances. Fear is what happens. So the second point. Fear causes us to seek help from someone or someone else. Even those guys that didn't know how to sail, I didn't have any choice. They had to get the sail down, so they had better figure it out. Fear causes us to seek help from someone or something else. Another illustration. We all know stories, and we've heard stories of someone who's drowning and someone goes to save them. What happens? They both go down. Why? Because the drowning man is panicked. He has lost control. And he is all, his mind is consumed with fear, and he grabs hold of the person who's trying to rescue him, and there is no situation worse than that. And if he doesn't know what he's doing, both of them go down together. The drowning man drowns his rescuer. So if we go back to um, chapter 22 and just look at a couple of things here, this is what God says to Israel. He says, Assyria is coming against you. And by the way, uh, Spoiler alert, when Assyria comes, Sennacherib will bring his, his uh, big army down there. And he says in this passage, he says, I will break them on my mountain. He kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers as they surround Jerusalem. So the Jerusalem leadership doesn't have to be afraid, but they don't know that because it hasn't happened yet. But this is what God says. He says, you counted, you collected water from the lower pool. You counted, this is uh, um, in chapter 22, you counted the houses of Jerusalem so that you could tear them down to fortify the wall. You made a reservoir for, for uh, waters in the ancient pool, but you did not look to the one who made it. And then he goes on and he says, um, in the last part of it, he says, I will call for my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. And then he goes on to describe Eliakim. He's a godly man. He's a strong man. He's obviously a wise manager. And he takes over the leadership in Jerusalem. And, and God says, I'm going to take him like a peg and I'm going to drive him into the wall. And he's going to be a strong support. And you're going to keep hanging, you're going to keep hanging on this peg. And he's using illustrations from, you know, like you're going to hang pots and pans and different things. And then 
the peg is going to break. Now, does that mean that Eliakim was a bad man? No. What it means is this. You're looking to the wrong thing in your fear for help. God says, this is the whole point. Stop, stop fixing the wall. That's not the point. The point is, you don't have to worry about the wall if you just get on your knees and repent like I told you to. You don't need to worry about protecting yourself if you're walking with me. That's why judgment is coming. That's why you have to be afraid of the Assyrians. But you will not. You keep looking for something else. And here's where, for us, I, I, this is, I don't know what to do in today's world. I feel sometimes, I honestly feel like a dinosaur in, in, in the wrong era because I don't give a fig for technology I like coffee on my back porch in the morning, and I would just happily never go to town again if I didn't have to. I like simplicity. I don't like distractions. I like a good book. I'll take a good book any day over a screen. But I live in a world that doesn't honor that anymore. So I don't know. I honestly don't know how to, what to tell you as far as distractions go in life. But this is one thing I can tell you. When it comes to fear in your life. <clears throat> Fear, I think, was given to us by God when we didn't know it. He made us without fear in the garden. He made us innocent and pure and holy. And the moment sin entered the world, the first thing that happened, Adam and Eve are ashamed. The second thing that happens is they're afraid. Why are they afraid? They've lost control. Suddenly they don't know what's going on and their world is really mysterious and what's going on, what's happening here. That's what happens to us when pride gets a hold of us and locks us up, and then we lose control of something, and we react in fear, I'm going to tell you something. If that happens to you, look closely, because God is trying to get a hold of you, and that's his last-ditch effort. He built us so that when we fell into sin, when we became a fallen race, the pride that would take us down, the natural response to it, was fear, and that was his way of breaking through the crust when nothing else would work. So when you are in a situation and you are afraid, you'd better start looking for some hidden pride. And I don't mean that in condemnation. I mean that for myself, but I mean, I mean that for Brother Earl right there who has lived a long time and has to deal with a lot of pride in his life, I'm sure, over the years. That's right. By the way, I want to tell you something. I called my dad and I was talking to him and I said, I said, Earl Weech is preaching. He's like, Earl Weech. Oh, man, I love that guy. And I said, Dad, how do you know Earl? He said, oh, man. I used to work at a power plant with him. He said, boy, when we get together, we'd have church. <laughs> Made me want to listen to him more because that was a completely sidebar. He was living holy back when it was important for my dad. And now another generation has passed, and now he can bless me. So I really appreciate that. <clears throat> Unscrupulous, proud leaders, though, listen to me carefully, and we are seeing it all over the place right now. Unscrupulous leaders also know that fear is a way to get you to turn to help. Hear what I'm saying? This Sunday, two years ago, after church, we were informed that we would no longer be able to meet. Did y'all realize that? That was when the mandate first came out. People were afraid, and what happened was, when people are afraid, they become unstable. So the best way to stabilize them again is to give them something, something to grab onto. You know what it was for us? It was mandates that came down, social distance, stay away from each other, wear a mask, do these things, do these things that you can do. It helps 
calm the fear by regaining some amount of control in your life because the pride is there. We haven't dealt with the pride issue. We're just masking it by giving something for fearful people to hang on to. Were some of the things effective? Maybe, but that's not the point. The point was it gave something to people to be able to deal with the fear. And then we heard from Brenda last week. What did we hear from Brenda? When Brenda needed healing, Brenda, what did you say? Healing hugs? Could you social distance while healing hugs were occurring? Hugs. <laughs> no, what happens is the truth is we need each other. But you know what I thought about it as I was, as I was preparing? I thought about, that, about her uh, sharing last week and I thought, for those people who came and gave her hugs, they had to do something. They had to give up control. They had to get rid of fear and they had to recognize that maybe they would get something from her, but it didn't matter because that relationship was more important than control in their lives. So leaders know how to manipulate people. And it's been this way. Do you think that Babylon was any different than what we have today? No. Pride was driving the, the cart all the way back then. It's exactly the same. All right. <clears throat> in chapter 20, or in chapter 19, which is the chapter where God is coming against Egypt, is the one thing in this series that allows us some amount of, of joy. So if you go back to chapter 19, uh, in verse 16, it says, On that day Egypt will be like women. She will tremble with fear because of the threatening hand of the Lord of hosts when he raised it against her. So there's that pride broken and the fear emerging, right? Now, he goes forward into, uh, let's go to chapter tw uh, verse 20. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. This is the Egyptians crying out. When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a savior and a leader and he will rescue them. The Lord will make himself known to Egypt, and Egypt will know the Lord on that day. They will offer sacrifices and offerings. They will make vows to the Lord and fulfill them. The Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing. Then they will return to the Lord, and he will hear their prayer and heal them. Not Jerusalem, not Israel, God's people. No. The nation who God had to take his people from will be the only ones in this whole series that will actually take the fear that comes from loss of control and allow it to bring them back to the one person who can actually heal them. I don't know. I don't know when or if how that happened. I know that God is prophesying it, so it's going to happen. But for some reason or another, that actually um, is the one joyful point in this whole thing is that Egypt learned its lesson and it began to follow the Lord. It reached out in its fear to the one God, the one person who could actually make a difference. For me, pride through the years has been insidious, has been hidden for the most part. Let me give you an illustration. This actually happened. My family still laughs at me about it. The church that I was a part of, uh, after the sermon was ended every Sunday, there was be a, instead of just dismissing, there would be a time of um, a time of testimony, either confession or testimony of praise or agreeing to the sermon or whatever. Um, I found myself oftentimes confessing, frankly, but this particular Sunday. Um, I stood up because in that sermon, I was convicted of pride in my life. 
And I stood up, pastor acknowledged me, and I confessed to the, to the brothers and sisters there that I had been struggling with pride and wanted, them, wanted their help in, in dealing with it. That's a good thing. And I sat down. And when I sat down, the Holy Spirit said, you're proud of that confession. (laughs) And I knew what I had to do. And I got back up. I want to tell you something right now. I didn't have to get back up the third time. I confess to being proud of a confession on pride. How low can you get? Man, to this day, my siblings love to bring that story up. The day that Micah confessed twice in church. But you know, for what it's worth, for what it's worth, my heart longed for something more than what I had. I wanted to be righteous, and I was trying to get there. And it took a while. It took a lot of humbling on the Lord on my part, but it, I, I, was, I was serious enough about it that the fear and the humiliation that would occur when I stood back up was worth was worth the Holy Spirit saying, well done to me. And I share that with you, not in pride. I share that with you as an example of what it means. Like when you are serious about getting rid of pride, when you're serious about looking at those things in your life that may have it there, it's going to hurt. Something is going to get embarrassed along the way. All right, so third point. What do we do? What do we do? We, we have pride in our lives. It's insidious. It's hard to find it. Fear shows up, and sometimes anger shows up, frankly, because here's what also happens. Anger helps us deal with fear. You ever think about that? Anger can rise up, and when you get angry, the things that you can say, oh my goodness, I'm gonna tell the, I'm I'm gonna tell him what I really think about him right now. And you do. And guess what? The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. And it will go just about like you thought it would go before the anger showed up. But the anger covers fear. So sometimes we have anger. We have anger points in our life. The anger and the fear both almost always lead back to something in which pride is controlling you internally. So look for fear. Look for anger. When they show up, you better start digging to figure out where they're at. And you let the Holy Spirit, by the way, the Holy Spirit sees you like a glass full of water. He knows where every speck of dirt is in there. And he can point you right to it, but you'd better be listening. And sometimes it's hard to hear. Get used to listening, it'll be easier. Third point, surrender your life to the one who gave you your life. It's so easy to say that, isn't it? Oh, I just don't want to surrender my life. I just, I want to, I want to live for Jesus. I love Jesus. I just, I just am so blessed this morning. And you walk out the door, and what meets you is the real world in which all hell breaks loose. And suddenly, everything that seemed so easy in the sanctuary with the saints, with the power of the Holy Spirit, suddenly seems incredibly difficult. And guess what? It's not the big things. It's not the big things. It's the child that for the 40th time cannot figure out how to get fractions out of whole numbers. 
Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's the husband who can't remember more than two things at the store, no matter how many times you tell it to him. Those things will bring pride up, will bring that, that me on the top up as fast as anything. It's easier to deal with the big stuff, actually, because it's so obvious. It's the little things that drive you crazy, but they show what you really are inside. Surrender your life. This is really what it means. Give up. Because here's the thing. It's not your life. Paul said, I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. I actually don't live for myself right now if I'm walking with the Lord correctly. My life is not my own. That means my money is not my own. My time is not my own. My possessions are not my own. Even my family is not my own. I have a son who's going to be 18 in a, in a month. And you know what? I'd like to turn the clock back because I'm not done yet. And he's getting too smart for me to do that. So <laughs> I'm not quite ready. I want to start over. I, I'm, I don't like getting old yet. I wanted to, you know, I thought it would last a little longer going through there. <laughs> Thankfully, I have a four-year-old, so I have a little bit of time left. <laughs> it means to give up. It means that, that what you want actually isn't important anymore. It's what he wants that's important. Do you think about when you make a decision, do you actually think about what it is that he wants for you to do? Do you ask him first? Because uh, in the morning when you get up, he's given you new mercies according to Lamentations for that day. And those new mercies will cover him in you for that day. But you've got to talk to him about it. Surrender yourself. Stop fighting for control of your life. Proverbs says only, only, listen, only by pride comes contention. And oftentimes our biggest contention is between us and God. I don't want to do it that way. I have a better idea, Lord. Well, maybe you do, but I'm God, and I want you to do it this way. Yeah, but see, you don't understand. In my world, we don't do it like that anymore. Um, there was a man by the name of Otto Koenig who told a story about when he was on the mission field, and he said the mission board would buy brand new cars. This was back in the 60s, I think. They would buy brand new Toyotas in Japan, send them to New Guinea where the missionaries would use them, and they would use them for two or three years, and then they would sell them again in somewhere in Indonesia and get the, the full price back on the car. And the mission board thought they were doing a really good job of managing God's money. But guess what? The missionaries couldn't take people in the car to the clinic. They, they, they couldn't use it because they had to keep it clean so that when they got to the end of the two years, they could recycle it back and get all their money back. So it seems like a good idea, but the missionary on the field said, we were losing people because of it. So whose idea was it? It wasn't God's idea. God's concerned about people. Accept the reality. Here's the thing. Accept the reality that you're broken. You're not perfect. You are broken. But here's the thing. You will also be more broken if you follow the Lord. Egypt and Judah. In this list that we went through today. Babylon was wiped off the map. Babylon to this day has been wiped off the map. Saddam Hussein tried to rebuild the city of Babylon and uh, he's no longer with us. Only Judah and Egypt remained because of their repentance and God restoring them. You will be broken. Jesus says it this way. He says, fall on the cornerstone. Do you remember the story? He's talking to the disciples and he says, the chief cornerstone the builders rejected. This is me. I am that cornerstone. A cornerstone is a big old chunk of, of rock that the builder comes out there and he sets it in place. He says, all right, 
We're going to set it, and you can pull all your lines off of it. This is the height. This is the distance. This is how it's going to lay on the ground. Big stone. Nobody's going to move it once it's in place. And Jesus says about the stone, this is what he says. He says, you have two options. And every one of you in this room today, myself, everyone who's listening, has two options. You will either fall on the stone, or the stone will fall on you. Those are your only options. You don't get to sidestep the stone. When it comes down and you're under it, Jesus says, it will grind you to powder. But if you fall on it, you will be broken. Brokenness is essential in our lives for pride to be taken out. If I have a tumor, the doctor is going to have to cut into me and hurt me to get it out. Brokenness is required for healing. But if you wait till the end, you'll still be broken, but you'll be broken irrevocably. You will be destroyed. Book of Proverbs says, He that being often reproved continues to harden his heart will suddenly be destroyed with no remedy. That's the end. One of two. You will be broken in this life and, be, and walk in humility. And it's not a one-time thing. You will continue to be broken and continue to be broken until God is able to use you. And he will only use those who have a broken and a contrite heart. Or you will wait and you will be ground to powder at the end. Those are your two options. What are our applications? Examine your life for pride constantly. Here's the thing. Every day is an opportunity for something to sneak back in. Um, imagine pride as a snake. A snake needs very, very little room to get inside your house. I know that from growing up. I also know that it doesn't feel good when you reach up on a shelf and you grab a snake instead of what you thought you were after. Use fear and anger as indicators. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you and listen to him. Do something about it. If he shows you something, choose to humble yourself by confessing your sin. Don't justify it. Don't tell yourself it's not really that bad. If the Holy Spirit shows it to you, just deal with it. It's much easier in the end. You don't want it to come back up at the judgment seat. Do you understand me? Maybe it will be humiliating for you. Maybe it will be very embarrassing because your mind, your pride in your mind will say things like, well, don't you realize that good names rather be chosen than great riches? I mean, if people have that knowledge about me, it's going to sully my reputation. Let your reputation die then because it's better for the reputation to die than for you to die. Do you understand that? Pride is so subtle that it is hard to find it. Go looking for it. When you find sin, confess your sin. And by the way, confessing your sin is a great way to humble yourself. The scripture says, the scripture does not say, be humble. You ever notice that? It says, humble yourself. I can be very proud of being humble. But when I humble myself, I have to crush my pride in order to do that. Do you understand that? All right. And then, going back to what Brother Earl said last week. Stay your mind on Jehovah. And Jimmy gets to preach on the good chapters next week. But in chapter 26, it says, um, let me go back there and read it. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace. For it is trusting in you. Trust in the Lord forever because in Jehovah the Lord is an everlasting rock. It is by, by letting our mind rest in him. When fear comes, because there's a lot of things right now. It could cause our world to spiral out of control so quickly and into a place that we have no idea what it's like, that we could live in fear. We can choose to rest in Christ. We can choose to rest our minds on Him. 
and the Word, as you said this morning, Zach. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. I loved what Earl said last week. He says, when the Word of God comes into you, when the Word of Christ comes into us, and it marinates in there, and it begins to transform us, what comes back out is the life of Christ coming back out. Man, that's good. And then to go back to Brenda again. Fill your world with God's music. I am so grateful that in my childhood growing up, the only music that I ever listened to was music that honored the Lord. I know actually very few songs that are not Christian songs. I know lots of Christian songs, but I know very few songs that aren't. And I'll tell you something, at 45, I don't care. I love Jesus and I love singing about him, which is how we're going to close. So let's go back to Isaiah 24. I skipped over a piece that was the best part of this. And we're going to end happy, okay? In the middle of Isaiah 24, where the earth is just being wiped. I mean, it's like God has just decided to just, just stop everything. There's no joy. There's no wine. There's no, it does, sounds like there's no vegetation. People are dying. It is bad. Then you get to verse 14. They raise their voice. They sing out. They proclaim in the West the majesty of the Lord. Therefore, in the East, honor the Lord. In the islands of the West, honor the name of Jehovah, the God of Israel. From the ends of the earth, we hear songs, the splendor of the righteous one. And as I was reading that, this, this picture came to me. And I, I think oh, y'all can all appreciate this, even the little kids. In How the Grinch Stole Christmas, he steals, the Grinch steals everything, and he goes up to the top of Mount Crumpet, and right before he dumps everything over the cliff, what does he do? He stops, and he lets the silence come, because it's morning, and he's listening for something. What's he listening for? He's listening for sadness, right? All the who's down in Whoville, what are they going to do? They're going, Christmas is gone, but what does he hear? He hears a merry sound. He hears a happy sound. And I'd read that, and I was like, that's the Grinch that stole Christmas. The earth is being wiped clean. And here, over here in the West, I don't know how big the group of people is, somebody starts singing. I want to tell you something. The person that's singing isn't afraid. The person that's singing isn't concerned with how it's all going to turn out. They know one thing. I'm walking with the God who's going to make sure it all turns out in the end. And they begin to sing. And I tell you... I don't know. I don't know if this has already happened or not, but it says they raise their voices, they sing out, they proclaim in the West. Well, guess what? Oh, the thing is not up there. We are far West from Israel. I'm like, is it possible that if we sing deliberately off of that, that we would be fulfilling that prophecy? Is it possible? We're going to sing in the West. And then it shouts to the East. You guys sing too. Let's praise the Lord together. So we're going to end. Everybody stand. We're going to sing Majesty. Janet, take it away. Majesty. Worship His majesty.
heaven and if it was indeed the fulfillment of that then oh that is awesome I want you to leave today I want you to leave with this in your mind it is worth it is worth being broken in this life to walk with a creator who's gonna make it all good someday and he's gonna take away the fear and he's gonna take away the insistent control that we have in our lives that we can't seem to hardly get rid of He's going to put it back to where it used to be, the way it was to begin with. And he's going to, it's going to be good. Humble yourself and let him exalt you, as the book of James says. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.